Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lin, together today with a special guest host, John Kimmerly. He's head of Epic Solutions at Pure Storage and excited to have him here as our guest host. The world of technology and healthcare ever changing in new and novel ways. And that's why we love this stuff. Join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be talking about the financial impact of COVID-19 on healthcare organizations, a big important topic. And today's episode is sponsored by Pure Storage, the IT pioneer that delivers storage as a service in a multi-cloud world. Learn more about Pure Storage's modern data experience and how the company can help your organization reduce the complexity and expense of managing your infrastructure at purestorage.com. And be, f- be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and my personal account at TechGuy and the Pure Storage account at Pure Storage. Plus, check out our 14 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. Welcome, John. Excited to have you here. H- how are you doing amidst COVID-19? Well, John, I'm glad to be here and like everyone, adjusting to um, a little more working remotely, although in my role, my, um, I, I do work out of the home office, but um, before the pandemic, I would leave it periodically and I've spent a lot more time here, So, but doing well. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're all adjusting to this changes and uh, remote work and kids in school. I mean, I mean, healthcare organizations are as well. So I think this is a really important topic. And let's kick it off. You know, what pressures are healthcare organizations seeing due to budget constraints? What are you seeing on your end? Well, um, the the pandemic has profoundly impacted healthcare, and you know, there's been a lot of talk about some of the first order. Um, responses from a financial perspective, but, you know, definitely furloughs and reductions and pay cuts and renegotiating terms, pushing off projects, uh, delaying them. Um, And and those were all kind of first order responses. But um, I'd be interested, um, you know, to pivot a a little bit and think about some of the near or more long-term impacts, especially within um, you know, how things are financed within healthcare. You know, I think we're, there's a still a lot of question marks around how healthcare IT budgets are gonna be impacted, but I'm kind of seeing it divided into two groups, the haves and the have-nots, and unfortunately it kind of represents society in many ways. Those organizations that had billions of dollars of cash in the bank are still making cuts, which illustrates how bad the crisis is, but they're going to be in a position of strength, whereas many organizations that were just hanging on to survive, they are really cash-strapped now and dealing with it. And certainly the stimulus helped, but man, they're going to be in a challenging situation for sure. Yeah, I was looking at um, Moody's um, half a year financial outlook for not-for-profit hospitals, and um, they iterated um, – iterate that same point where the strong will get stronger and the weak will get weaker. Um, Definitely. And, you know, I think it's, it's a evolving thing, but how do you, you know, how is the financial situation really going to be impacted by healthcare ID, you know, for healthcare ID decision makers? If I look at it, I'm saying, 
man, they better be more strategic and you're going to have to have a cost justification and a proposal that helps in that to do anything in this environment with a very few exceptions, you know, telehealth, of course, you're going to spend there and maybe a few other things, remote work, you may spend there, but everything else, man, it's going to be an uphill battle. A discipline around making sure that the, um, the uh, scarce available investments in capital, you know, make the most uh, impact is clearly, you know, something that's required. I, I think, um, you know, scarcity is a, a known driver of innovation. So, you know, when you have enough uh, capital to uh, fund several projects or several uh, projects in the portfolio, you, you think one way, but when you have very little uh, to invest, you have to be very careful. And that discipline is probably going to drive people to make better decisions. Yeah, it's like you were meant to be on the Healthcare IT Today uh, show because we're positive thinkers, right? And, and it's true, though, right? Uh, scarcity is the mother of invention. It is. And I think every healthcare organization is faced with some form of scarcity. I mean, they always have been, but now it's to a degree that's right. just well beyond what they were before. And I also think, um, you know, that's the, the scarcity will drive innovation for not only technology, but the ways in which you know, it's paid for or funded. So um, we talk a lot about financial flexibility. You know, every organization's situation is different, you know, where they have availability. But definitely seeing financial flexibility a, a requirement for the future. Yeah, I think we've seen that from a number of vendors that understand that principle. I imagine pure storage is in a similar place that how do you make it flexible for the organization who may have cash flow issues to be able to purchase, you know, these quite frankly, large acquisitions of infrastructure that, you know, they're going to use for the next five years. And so how do you allow a flexible financial situation? And then of course, there's always the questions of how is it going to hit CapEx and, you know, all of those things, which I think you're way more familiar with than I am. Well, um, yeah, in the intro, um, you um, mentioned, uh, you know, pure as a service and while pure storage is uh, engineered to be evergreen, it makes it very easy to offer it as a service. So yes, traditionally, a lot of the infrastructure behind healthcare IT has been uh, you know, purchased with capital and put on the balance sheet and amortized over some number of years, but that still took an upfront in- investment. And with CFOs holding on to cash, even if they have you know, the capital available, that cash is um, um, they may be wanting to hold on to it. So offering up, uh, you know, pure as a service, much more cloud-like in the way that can be consumed as you go. You don't have to over-provision. It's just like, you know, a, a monthly subscription to innovation. So i definitely seen that, you know, uh, pre-pandemic, I would say, you know, 10% of our customers would be talking about it. And now it really it's it's in every conversation they may not decide to go that way but they're definitely uh, you know trying to understand what are all the options sure i think your point about the cfo sitting on cash uh you know during a crisis cash is king and we've seen that over and over and and i think there is a lot of question marks and whenever there's question marks 
the CFO restricts it even more and wants to sit on more and more cash. And the more cash they sit on, the more comfortable they feel because that's their job as CFO. Right, right. So that makes sense why they're, they're moving that direction. Yeah, day's cash on hand is probably, it's, it's got to be a top, you know, three financial indicator that's, yeah. that's uh, uh, being watched. Yeah, and what's interesting is, you know, the CIOs who are largely our audience, you know, they, they need to understand that part of it. And I've seen some of them that are really good at understanding that and some of them that aren't. And so, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think in this new world of, of uh, cash sensitivity, uh, they're going to have to become educated and, you know, it, it's a challenge. And I, I'm always amazed at the at, at um, mindsets. And so I was actually in a conversation with a CIO and we were broaching the idea of, well, maybe, well, we understand historically that you, you know, use capital to, to buy that infrastructure, but how about, you know, a different model, one that, um, you know, is more pay as you go. And, you know, they very clearly just sh- shut it off as no, no, that's always capital as, as if it will you know, always be funded through capital. And it kind of reminds me, I kind of classify CIOs in, in two regards, the operational CIO and the strategic CIO. The operational CIO is someone who says, my job is to put up the network, put up the servers, and let you do your work. And yeah. then the, the strategic CIO is the one that says, oh, no, everything I do influences the business, and I need to be involved strategically in the, in the business decisions because – how I implement my infrastructure is going to implement a lot of things down the road for yep. you as a user, for the patient experience, et cetera. And so, you know, there are these two mindsets that are so far apart. And I, you know, personally, I can't understand the operational CIO mindset, but there are a lot of them still out there. Well, and, you know, um, your question about, you know, IT de- decision makers, you know, they're, one aspect is funding the new innovation and new technology, but to your point, the um, transactional uh, or operational CIOs um, over the past decades have, um, th- there's a lot of complexity in healthcare IT. There's a lot of duplication, waste. And so, you know, one strategy going forward to fund future innovation is first to take care of the technical debt and some of the waste that's currently on the floor within our portfolios. It's funny you say that. In many ways, you're highlighting that they weren't very good operational CIOs either, uh, you know, or maybe they took it over from someone who wasn't. Let's, let's give them credit that yeah. way. <laughs> well, you know, um, I've, um, you know, I, I can speak to this problem because I helped create it over the past couple decades. But, you know, for a while, um, IT organizations were service oriented where they would take the lead from the business leaders and find out what the strategies and objectives were. And then um, those business leaders would, you know, inform the IT plan and what things were purchased. Um, And so, you know, the business drove IT, but if, if you just let that go too long, um, you really need to be more strategic and, you know, push back and influence and go for the value. But if you just, are service oriented, then you're you know, taking orders, you're adding more applications, you're adding more people, and after a decade or two, your budget and is much bigger than it should be. 
No, definitely. And, uh, you know, I, I think if business drives it all and doesn't understand IT as a strategic asset, then, you know, that type of bloat can happen because your business leader said, you have to do this. And you're like, wait, why are we doing that? That replicates three systems or, or whatever it might be. So that, that is a really, really great point. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's great to, to see the opportunity, though. And, you know, I think to me that opportunity is the CIO taking control and really making IT a strategic part of the organization. So, yeah, I think that's really important. And, and thanks, everyone. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lynn and special guest host, John Kimmerly. And I wanted to take a moment really to thank our sponsor, Pure Storage. Pure's modern data experience is the key that enables organizations to achieve efficiencies of care delivery. Yeah, we all want that. Lower costs and an end to data silos and migrations. And COVID-19 really illustrated the importance of this. And you can learn more about how Pure Storage can help your organization at purestorage.com. You know, I can, I can say personally, I, I went to Pure Storage's user conference last year. I was just astounded by your customers and how much it impacted the end user perspective. That was my takeaway, John. I, I'm sure you were at the user conference as well. It's like doing storage efficiently impacts the end user way more than I thought it would. <laughs> I mean, in, in so solutions, you know, you've got the application, you've got storage, compute, and network in a very simple level. That's all you have. And whether it's um, on-prem or in the cloud, the, the, um, the hardest part of that four-legged stool is, is around storage. So, you know, fast matters. And I, too, I was a um, longtime um, pure customer, and I got to experience what the pure acceleration did to our applications. And um, it was perceptible, um, it, especially from a, um, when you're moving large quantities of data. So, you know, fast really does matter. Yeah, absolutely. I think a few customers said, you're going to pull pure storage from my dead hands. They're like, you're not taking it away from me. You can find another CIO <laughs> or CTO, but yeah, it's great. And well, and, and, you know, we, 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 we hear that often, and um, you know, I, th I think it speaks to you know, not only um, the technology, but also the service. Um, the uh, net promoter score is, you know, in the top of one percent, and um, you know that delights people. They they are refreshed when, you know, things work, um, and they don't have to deal with some of the inefficiencies in the legacy uh, model of acquiring and using and experiencing infrastructure. Now, that's a great point. And, you know, I, I think, you know, thinking back to the, where we started this conversation, how do they, how do these healthcare organizations continue to drive innovation around even things like storage when the budgets are so contracted? And, you know, we, yep. we talked about the CFOs controlling it and right, you better right. justify everyone. So what's your take on, you know, how can organizations continue to drive that innovation around, like you said, storage, but, you know, lots of elements of health IT. Yeah, I think some of those uh, principles would um, definitely fall uh, into the other areas of the IT portfolio. Um, I think first is really just taking a total cost of ownership look at all investments. You know, often when you're acquiring something on a CapEx, um, you've got so much capital 
And, um, you know, different vendors will use some short-term manipulations or incentives, um, you know, deep discounting up front, but it's made up on the uh, life of the uh, purchase. So, you know, taking a more rigorous financial look at, you know, what really is the total cost of ownership um, makes a lot of sense. Uh, The other one, and, and we talked about Pure's evergreen business model, but, you know, if you have to rebuy something every three to five years, you know, look for solutions where you don't ever have to rebuy what you've already purchased, something that doesn't need to be forklift upgraded or doesn't have, you know, um, doesn't have a uh, sunset as a business model, something that will stay you know, evergreen and just get faster, better, and cheaper over time. Uh, that's an and, interesting and- point. Uh, you know, I, I look at my healthcare IT design. We always talk about evergreen content, uh, you know, and that's the right. best type of content, right? Uh, it, evergreen hardware is hard for people to imagine though, right? Uh, you know, uh, and if you're overwhelmed with telehealth and security and all these other things, you're like, wait, uh, you know, evergreen content should be a, a, a good principle. But I think many people's minds are so overwhelmed with COVID that they can't go there. Right. And, and to your um, earlier point about scarcity, I think, um, you know, the lack of uh, normal funding cycles uh, will, you know, drive some innovation and drive people to look at, you know, alternate, more innovative ways of acquiring and using and experiencing technology. I, I was speaking with a couple um, uh, CIOs recently, and um, many of them have a calendar year budget cycle. So they're right now in putting together their operating plan for next year. And it's a very interesting time for them. <laughs> Needless to say, I, you know, I, I actually think we see two types of CIOs and, and organizational response to this. I think we see one that's paralyzed and doesn't yep. know what to do and is just trying to survive. They're, you know, just, they're just drowning and trying to survive. And then we see those that say, hey, this is an opportunity to rethink how we do it. You know, I think your point about budgets, you know, how do we want it to hit CapEx? They don't even want to have that conversation. That's a paralyzed CIO to me. But they're not paralyzed, is it? And I even think about personally, how did I respond to COVID-19? And how did healthcare IT today respond to it? My initial response while my wife was on a cruise ship, true story, when COVID-19 hit, HIMSS was canceled. My wife's on a cruise ship. And to be honest, I was paralyzed too. Right. Like I didn't know how to respond. And then for yeah. me, the, the thing that kicked it up a notch was my colleague, Colin Hung. He wasn't paralyzed and he was proactive and he put a strategy together and a plan where not only would we survive, but how could we thrive in yeah. this brutal, <laughs> we organize a few conferences, it's brutal <laughs> environment. Yeah. So I think that maybe that's the lesson for CIOs as well that I can share from my own personal experience. I was on a, several panels o- over the past uh, couple months, and there were several CMIOs on the panels, and it, it was almost unanimous um, in their experience and the actual words that they used as their organizations, you know, went from very minimal adoption of televisits to you know a fairly substantial uh, percentage, and in a very short period of time. And they use the words, you know, silver lining and, you know, not to diminish the economic and, you know, uh, personal impact of this pandemic, but, you know, they were, you know, very um, refreshed that their organizations could do something 
that they've maybe been you know toying with or doing in proof of concepts, but to scale it up um, and just the um, the energy of taking an entire organization and focusing them on a few objectives and making you know transformational progress on them was um, you know kind of exciting for them. And I I think as they think about you know what can the organization do next, they were refreshed that they have this. Um, you know, organizational muscle memory that can be drawn upon. Yeah, and I think that is the the right approach is to say, what are the opportunities to that are available to me as an organization, to me personally? You know, however you're looking at you know dealing with this crisis, you know, going back to your original point, uh, constraints actually provide an opportunity right. for innovation. And I think that's what we need to see. And to me, that's how, you know, I think most people need to look at it and say, okay, well, COVID has created a lot of atrocities, a lot of death. It's changed our world as we know it. But how has it also accelerated healthcare's digital transformation? I mean, when you see the telehealth charts, it's just amazing. But, you know, I think when I look at it and say, okay, how, what, you know, what, what do we predict is going to happen next? Right. You know, and, and I'm interested in hearing your thoughts. My take yeah. is that we learned two important lessons during COVID. One of those lessons is that if you were prepared beforehand, then you executed better in that situation. And I think that lesson is just so important because, you know, like if that's something we can apply going forward, because guess what? More crises are going to come. And then the second lesson to me is really about what really matters. Ask that question, what really matters? And one of those questions, one of the answers to those questions is the speed of the application didn't matter six months ago before COVID. But now that COVID's hit, guess what? They are burnt out. They're tired. They're overwhelmed. And now when the application doesn't load properly or you have to do 10 extra clicks because the EHR you know, is designed poorly, that impacts it way more than, the, than it would have six months ago. I like those two, um, two lessons. To build on the last one, I think everyone's expectations just went up. Um, mm-hmm. you know, from a consumer perspective, I can't think of a time in recent history where you have, you know, much of the globe, of the global population that has experienced the same event and experienced it in much the same way through, you know, lockdown and isolation and um, leveraging, um, you know, uh, information technology to, you know, get business done and communicate with loved ones. So, you know, we have this big shared experience now. And I had a colleague that said that, um, you know, the consumer expectations of 2030 just got moved to 2020. (laughs) And so, you know, consumer expectations, you know, will definitely be a driver and uh, clinicians expectations of, you know, what they're going to tolerate have probably, um, you know, gotten clarified as well. So fast does matter. And um, the, the other one that you touched on was really organizational agility. And, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm a reasonably intelligent person, you know, and for a long time in a lot of, um, you know, organizational assessments or national or state quality awards, there was always this, this, um, you know, agility word. And I intellectually knew what it was, um, but I didn't really have a clear understanding of what it looked like in a large organization. And I think the, um, the experience of those CMIOs earlier 
they got to experience, you know, what agility looks like as they focused. And to your point, some organizations were, um, you know, their infrastructure was set up so that they could move quicker. I was um, actually on the phone with a chief uh, transformation offer at a, I think it's a Fortune 100 company. And um, their business model was, you know, no one works remotely. So it's very much a go into HQ. And many of their critical applications were not enabled for, you know, remote desktops. And so they spent a lot of time, you know, before they could en enable their remote workers, they had to put forth the infrastructure to, uh, uh, you know, deploy those applications in a virtual desktop environment. Yeah, I think of two big IT providers. I'll avoid mentioning their names so we don't have to shame them. But like one of them said, hey, no more remote work. We're going back to the office. And the other one said over the past three to five years, why are we in the office? Let's create the infrastructure that allows yeah. us to work remotely. You know, and they did that. And that made it so that when the transition happened and we all were forced to work remotely, yeah. One was ready and the other one was scrambling. But to your point, uh, you know, even in the both situations, whether they had the infrastructure or not, you still needed the agility to be able to scale up. And I think right. that's actually a, an awesome point that you make that, you know, healthcare organizations, as they evaluate health IT projects, they need to consider how agile that is. I mean, just use telehealth as a simple example, you use remote work, but I think telehealth is going to see much Same. wider swings and, you know, remote work, at least the CIO controls, are you going to work from home or not? Right. Like right. I can tell you like, Hey, the infrastructure's out there, come back in or whatever it might be. They can control that. But in telehealth, the consumer is going to control that. So are you able to handle the swings? And I'm right. sure we're going to see more closures. And if we see closures, that swings back to telehealth again. And are, are, you know, is your infrastructure ready to expand or contract as needed? I was just thinking about this this morning, uh, based on a, a discussion with a, a uh, colleague. And you know, virtual visits is you know, kind of this classic uh, you know, healthcare COVID response. Um, and and I'm thinking about you know what might be the the second or third order impact of the virtual visits. Uh -huh. Um, you know, two ideas came up. One was around the, um, you know, this push to um, address the uh, physician burnout or its attribution to the EHR and documentation. And, you know, the question I had is, okay, in a televisit, um, you know, are there some, you know, technologies that can be deployed to, um, uh, you know, aid towards that documentation? Whereas, in a physical exam room, you know, you camera, microphone, you know, how, how do you do it? But with a video visit, you've got audio, you've got video. Um, and so, you know, there are definitely some, you know, AI machine learning technologies that you can apply to that to help pro progress that. The other one was around um, now that that data is potentially available. I don't think many organizations are actually recording them yet, but, you know, there's, you um, uh, some innovation around using, you know, voice, um, you know, current voice of patients to uh, compare to a benchmark for things like, um, you know, uh, lung capacity for COPD, you know, are they, you know, is their lung capacity starting to trail off and it impacts the voice? Obviously with, you know, the voice, there could be some, you know, cognition measurements or uh, mental health things. So, you know, 
just think about, you know, if we record the video visits and with the right permissions, privacy and security, are we able then to leverage that to actually, uh, you know, augment the physician and maybe make better health care decisions? Yeah, I mean, to your point, the scale of what's going to be required, you know, with ambient clinical voice that telehealth, I think is going to empower and enable uh, in a big way to be able to auto document the visit. It's just going to be extraordinary. And do we have the infrastructure in place to support that? You know, healthcare organizations better have it. But, you know, I think that's going to have to be topic for next time. Can you believe it? We're out of time. And uh, I want to thank our special uh, guest host, John Kimberly from Pure Storage. And thanks, everyone, for tuning into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. And thanks to Pure Storage for sponsoring today's episode. You can learn more about Pure Storage and their healthcare storage solutions at purestorage.com. Check out the program's page on healthcarenowradio.com for the show and share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm John Lynn with my special guest host, John Kimberly. Thanks for listening and have a great week.